Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. I hope that you are all well and that wherever you are in the world, you are enjoying a little beauty and maybe possibly a little sunshine. And I know I always talk about the weather, and as I say, it really is a British thing, but today it's actually raining again. So um, there's no walking today. There's only the garden is enjoying it and the birds that we have in the garden, which are beautiful, I have to say at the moment. Now, life is a funny thing sometimes. We tend to run away from life. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to be on the planet at the moment. I don't believe that it's ever really been that easy in some respects. But following our heart and our true vocation is something that doesn't come easily possibly. Whereas a lot of people would like to steer us in a particular direction. And I think that this is where we get lost and we lose our way. Because the noise outside, the noise from the people, whether that be from family or from friends, becomes too great that we stop hearing our voice, the voice of intuition. And sometimes we have to find that sanctuary by going not really further away from ourselves, but deeper into ourselves. And that's sometimes one of the most difficult and scariest journeys. But if we look at it in the wholeness of it, it is one of the most beautiful We just have to have the courage, the faith, and the belief in ourselves that we are ultimately beautiful beings. And I have a wonderful guest, I have to say. I have the real pleasure today of welcoming all the way from San Diego in California. I had to say that, really, because I'm so impressed with that. And she is the founder of The Kirby Method. And it's Dr. Alice Kirby. Dr. Alice is a doctor of physical therapy. She's a health consultant, a holistic health practitioner, and a somatic experiencing practitioner, which I'm very curious about, actually. And we're going to talk to her about that for her to explain what that's all about. Dr. Alice spent most of her 20s traveling and exploring different healing methods from around the globe. She studied Chinese medicine, conscious language, Native American healing, philosophy, polarity therapy, all sorts of different things with renowned teachers and experts from all over the place. And she actually started college at the age of 30 where she decided to pursue her doctorate. And finally, after seven years of intense schooling, she achieved her goal. Now, during these years, she also developed an unhealthy and addictive relationship with alcohol. And she continued to spiral downwards for a few years. Luckily, And eventually, the pain she describes got so bad that she decided to ask for help, which is always, with any form of addiction, a huge step. And she got sober, miraculously, 
you know, it's a huge achievement, really. I take my hat off to people that can do that because it is a huge triumph of the spirit. She's now almost three years sober and has embarked upon the study of trauma healing via somatic experiencing. She also has an online business and a podcast and works with other sober women to heal anxiety, chronic stress, and trauma. Today, she shares her story of healing and success. Welcome, Dr. Alice. Thank you so much for having me. That was a fantastic intro. Wow. It wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> no, it was. Your voice is like wonderful to listen to. I feel a little mesmerized over here. It's well, it's well deserved, really, um, Dr. Alice, because for me, it's a real pleasure to have you here because you are such an interesting lady that I, um, I can't wait to ask you so many things you know, and maybe get on your nerves in the meantime, but really. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I <laughs> love it. Extraordinary story, I have to say. And tell us a little bit, because we've got to start somewhere, because I want you to tell us all the things, the amazing things that you do. But um, where does it all begin? Where did it all begin, your journey? Um, boy, that is a big question. I, mm. You know, even from even when I was pretty young, like in very young adulthood, I think I always was really interested in, in natural healing modalities. And for a while that took the shape of, you know, studying herbal remedies. I had this like herbal remedy book and anytime anyone in my, my house was sick, I'd, you know, make them eat garlic and, um, would try all these natural modalities. So I was always just really interested in, you know, in the body. I remember I always really loved biology class in school. I, I remember dissecting a cat, you know, when I was in high school and thinking that was just really fascinating to see the mm -hmm. internal workings and the muscular system. And I always really liked science. So I think that kind of those combination of things, um, and it just, you know, I've always had a really deep love for the natural world and for being outside as a kid, we would take, you know, camping trips across the United States and stay in national parks and national forests and have these adventures as a family. And, um, you know, when I was in my early twenties, that's what I wanted to do was just to go and travel and, and camp and be outside and explore some of the, you know, the beautiful natural parks, national parks we have here. And so that kind of kicked my journey off was this, sort of this trip with no end that I had saved for and, you know, prepared for and just kind of drove off um, with a rough idea of where I wanted to go. But that led me to this place called the Ojai Foundation in Southern California, where I studied with some of the Native American healers. I started studying more plant medicine. I had a wonderful teacher there named Lola, who is this amazing spiritual woman. Um, but they would do, the foundation would have a lot of um, like inner city kids from LA and then different high school kids from LA would come up and do these, you know, these groups and programs. And, um, you know, we would do sweat lodges and we would have various teachers come in and run these retreats there. It's like a spiritual retreat center, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was sort of my, my first initial steps into like, oh, wow, I can really, there's teachers out here for this. I can really start studying some of these alternative healing methods. Um, and so from there, I just continued on that track. You know, I was in Costa Rica for a while studying plant medicine and permaculture and organic farming um, with some people down there. And I, I was up at Hartwood in Northern California. I think I did that first and then Costa yeah. Rica. I did a couple of the Vipassana retreats, you know, so I was really into meditation and, and trying those 10 day silent retreats to see what would happen and, and how that would work with healing. Um, and the massage school I went to at the Hartwood Institute, it was it's way up in the mountains in Northern California, you know, like 45 minutes up this dirt road surrounded by pot farmers, which back in the day was before marijuana was illegal. So there was... <laughs> always a sense of like some shady business going around in the neighborhood, but then in the it middle of it, you, was. yeah, there was, <laughs> you know, when we had this healing yeah. park school, which was, you know, it's this beautiful countryside up there. It was, it was mm. an amazing place to study. You know, I studied with Paul Pitchford, the author of healing with whole foods and uh, Suzanne Shaw, who's an amazing, you know, Qigong teacher, Chinese medicine teacher, herbal herbalist. And we used to go and forage for mushrooms and forage for plants in the wild. Wow. 
Yeah, it was really, it was really pretty neat when I think about that, that time in my life. Um, it was such a- And how long did it last for? I was up there for two and a half years, maybe. I ran the Mm -hmm. clinic for a little while when my teacher, Suzanne, went to do some training. So I got to run like the little holistic clinic and give people herbs and make herbal medicine. And, you know, when people got sick, they would come there for like natural healing stuff. So that was really fun. Um, What a wonderful way to experience healing. Really? Yeah, truly was, truly was. I would blast... um, Madonna's Ray of Light album, (laughs) make the medicine and dance out front in my underwear in this like mountain, you know, where no one was around. What, and throw your bra, is it it called a bra in the States and throw your bra to the moon? What's it called? It is called a bra, yeah. It is called a bra. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. I know it was, it was kind of wild, but you know, really joyful and fun and and just Mm. very present with the land there because, you know, we had structures, but it was very, a lot of life happened outside. And is it something, Dr. Alice, that, because I have, you know, I do complementary medicine as well. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm fascinated with your work and the sort of things that you offer and the sort of things that you've done because natural medicine saved my life when I was seven and I had pneumonia. And ever since then, by my great grandmother, ever since then, I've been an absolute firm believer in the power of nature and natural medicine. So for me, it was something innate as a child. Is that where it all started with you, um, with regards to really having this affinity with nature? I, you know, I think so. I, I, my mom was always really way ahead of the curve as far as nutrition went. Like we, you know, I didn't have any processed sugar before I was two years old and she would bake her own bread and like made all of our own food. And was, you know, kind of like back in those days, people would call her a health nut. But it was before any of that was really in the mainstream. I don't know where the, she got this from, but mm. it was just, you know, really how I grew up was like doing things more of a natural way and a holistic way um, and just always being outside. You know, as a kid, I was always playing outside and um, it just made sense to me, you know, to have the natural world be a part of my everyday life. It's It still does. I don't really know how to not have that. Um, but that's a, that's... So potent. I didn't have an experience like you described of, of really mm. having a, a profound effect of natural healing on my own life. I think it just kind of evolved um, as I continued to meet teachers and people who were really practicing some of these techniques and, and seeing like, oh, this really works. And there's, you know, there's a methodology to study it and to, to use it with, with other people. And what made you t- decide to get into all of this type of work? and this type of holistic lifestyle to becoming then, you know, a doctor and a holistic health practitioner. How did you start that love? Uh, You know, randomly, honestly, when I think about the way things unfolded, you know, like I said, I always really, I, I knew that I liked science and biology and I liked medicine but I never, you know, in high school or things like that, I was never like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. Or I know what I want to do. I really just wanted to travel and like get the hell out of Virginia where I was raised. I just mm. I wanted to like get on the open road and be outside and explore. Um, I remember saying to a friend, you know, as we were going through college applications and I was like, I just want life to be this series of gripping experiences. And uh, I just always remembered that because I like now I sort of have a toned down version of that where really I like to just be in my body to experience things. But, you know, as a young person, I really just, I longed for sort of the open road and adventure. And, and it led me to this, this Ojai foundation where I think that's kind of where my journey really kicked off where I started learning more with, um, of the native American philosophy and, and, um, teachings and the, the plant medicine. And then from there, I just, somebody told me about Heartwood and I was like, oh, let me go here and, you know, and study massage therapy and Chinese medicine. And it just sort of took off from there where I, um, I just continued to to learn. And then at one point I I really wanted to broaden my scope of practice. And I felt like I needed some Western medical education to more legitimize the work that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so, so I went down that track of, um, going back to school, like more formalized education. And that was at the age of 30? That's when I started college, yeah. And how was that compared to 
knowing all about the net. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason I was like, became a heavy drinker. <laughs> like it was, um, PT school particularly was, was pretty stressful. Um, my first couple years of undergrad, you know, I went to community college cause it was really affordable and I really, I mean, I like school. I always, I always have, I like learning. I formalized education makes sense to me. Um, so part of it was great, you know, and I got to take a lot of really fun electives and I learned about art history and, um, but I was also doing like a comprehensive, you know, pre-medical education, which is, you know, hard science and organic chemistry and, you know, physics and all of that stuff. But I, I don't know, I enjoyed a lot of school, um, but PT school is hard. I enjoyed it too. Um, I really loved the learning, but it was just hard. It's a lot, it's a lot of volume of information. I think not everyone really understands that you're, it is a doctorate. I mean, it's a medical degree. It's, it's, um, you have to learn a lot. And so there's a huge volume of information that you're just expected and you've got to take in all the time. And if you don't, you know, meet certain criteria, you get kicked out of the program and it's a huge financial investment. So for me, it was just a, like this constant underlying stress that I was really trying to manage with, with alcohol. Um, and so. how, because you, you now are helping other women to heal mm -hmm. anxiety and stress and trauma. And that is because of what you went through, isn't it? Through your years of having this addictive relationship with alcohol. Tell us a little bit about that. About um, what happened? About like what was going on for me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, um, it really was just trying to self-medicate. I didn't have, like from what I know now and after I found the therapist that introduced me to somatic experiencing and being able to work with her and, and knowing that this kind of work exists, I really wish I'd had that knowledge back then because I think that would have changed a lot and just given me another way to try mm -hmm. to navigate some of the stress that I felt at that time. And that's a lot of why I do the work that I do now is even, you know, with some of my introductory programs, just to show people like, Hey, there, there is another way. Like I understand what it's like to be under this constant barrage of stress and anxiety, especially now, you know, with COVID it's, mm -hmm. it's so intense, but to, to let people know, Hey, you know, there's other tools, there's other techniques. And so for me, I didn't really have access to that. I think I went and saw like my primary care doctor, and he put me on an SSRI and like that was kind of helpful, but it was just, everything just felt constantly overwhelming, out of control. I constantly just felt like I was running to try to keep up with things um, and, and failing, you know, I would drop a ball here or here. And um, my last clinical rotation, I've talked about this on a few podcasts. I was at a hospital in DC and um, it was just a mess. You know, I was doing a really poor job of it. I was drinking a lot on the way home. Uh, every day. And, you know, and I just felt like I could not keep things together. And I know the alcohol like wasn't helping, but I also didn't know what to do like for my nerves or for, I didn't know how to unwind it all um, without it. And how long did that relationship with alcohol last? I mean, for a lot of my life, really, I think it got really bad um, cause when I was in my twenties, you know, and traveling around and living mm. in these places, I would drink occasionally, you know, and I always really liked to drink. I think I probably, you know, if you think about being an alcoholic, I think I, you know, probably am an, an alcoholic and always was, but it just never was really like at the forefront. You know, sometimes we'd go down and have a beer or my friend would have a bottle of whiskey and we'd, you know, drink some whiskey one night, but it wasn't an everyday thing. It wasn't really a coping mechanism the way that it became later, and I do like to point that out when I talk about alcoholism or addiction is it, it really is a progressive disease. So, you know, if people are noticing, Hey, I have this relationship that's not serving me with alcohol, but I don't think I'm an alcoholic because I can, you know, because of X, Y, Z. But if you notice that it's progressing, you know, and you, you want to take steps to change that relationship, like you don't have to wait for it to get really bad. I would recommend that you don't. Um, because I, I know sometimes I'll hear from some of the women I work with, like, oh, my, my partner doesn't think I have a problem or my friend doesn't understand why I'm not drinking and it's confusing. And it's like, if you're the one who knows, you know, if this is problematic and it's getting worse, like cut it out now before it gets way worse because it is, it, it is progressive. It changes our brain over time. So just to, 
just and acknowledge it and, and say that. Yeah, it does. And mm. it's silly that it's, you know, that's why I'm so open about, you know, my own story. Mm. I think people need to hear this and to know mm. if this is something they're dealing with. It doesn't mean you're a failure or a bad person or there's something wrong with you. It means that you're potentially getting addicted to a highly addictive substance. And especially so now, Dr. Alice, in these mm-hmm. times, isn't it? That they're saying that people are drinking more and more. And what advice would you give to people um, at this moment in time? Because you're an expert in your field in any way as a doctor, but also because you've lived through the experience. So what advice would you give, you know, if there's something that you could sort of highlight that maybe it's secretive, isn't it? It sure can be. There's a lot of Mm. shame around it or there can Mm -hmm. be. Um, you know, I certainly was that person where I would have to sneak off to drink and, and hide it from my partner or try to, you know, and, um, yeah, it sucks. It's, it's a, it's a really a miserable existence. And I think if people are noticing, if anyone's noticing themselves, like slowly start to go down that hole or just notice you're drinking more than you want to, there is so much support for it now, which is really neat. And there's a lot of different supportive groups online that aren't, I think, you know, back in the day, it was just, you go to AA and that's what you do. And that's certainly still an option. It's a wonderful, um, you know, 12 step recovery is great. It can be really helpful. It's certainly worth trying. Um, but there's also a lot of just supportive groups online. There's a lot of what's known as Quitlet. Um, Laura McCowan's book, We Are the Luckiest is a really wonderful, beautiful book where she talks about her own story with alcoholism and, you know, how her life was and, and she's got a whole community on Facebook and it's lovely. You know, I'm a member of that community and it's very supportive. It's other women that are in various stages of wanting to, women and men actually are in there. It's both. It seems to be pri- primarily women, but mm. um, but it's great. So there's groups like that online. You can go on Facebook, you can go on Instagram. There's a lot of sober, sober, curious support these days. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if it's something that you're struggling with, like find one of those groups and start sharing a little bit, start listening to other people share because it starts normalizing the behavior, which I think is really important. It takes some of the shame out of it, some of the secrecy out of it. I think mm-hmm. Brene Brown talks about, you know, sh- what shame needs to grow in a Petri dish is like secrecy. And um, I, I forget the other thing. Um, but mm-hmm. when we can start actually being more open and, and talking about it, even if it's just to people online that we don't know, it really breathes, breathes more life into us and it takes some of the power out of the behavior. So I think things like that are really important in finding alternate methods. If you're drinking because you're anxious or stressed, like what else is available to you that you can try? You know, pick maybe one or two things to try instead and, and try that for a month. Try to create new rituals around when you would drink. You know, if every night at five you have a glass of wine, like what else can you do at five? Or can you drink something else? Can you make a fun drink that is non-alcoholic if that's what you do? Um, so it's sort of mm. re- creating new rituals uh, around habitual behavior, I think can also be really helpful. Yes. I mean, and one of the important things that you said there was that it's progressive. Mm -hmm. So you have to literally nip it in the bud um, before it starts to get worse. It makes your life easier. I think Mm. it would have made my life easier. Now, it's a huge thing, I think, any, any type of addiction, because it is somehow, they say, a disease of the soul. I've, I've heard it being described as that. And I think you being, you know, the holistic practitioner and the healer in, you know, there is a lot of spiritual diseases out there, aren't there, Dr. Alice, that we are now finding that are coming to the surface. I've certainly seen come to the mm. surface, you know, whether that be anxiety or stress or trauma or addiction, whatever it is, what do you think is really the cause of this rise in so many people suffering in this way? It's such a great question. And I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that there is a, a spiritual malady, um, and I, I think that shows up because we're, we're so dissociated from ourselves and we're dissociated and disconnected from each other and we're disconnected from the natural world. You know, sometimes we'll, 
you can go a day and not be at all, like have your feet on the ground, even in shoes. Maybe you're just walking on concrete and there's, we're such, at least in, in these first world countries, we're so like independent. Um, and I know there's a word for it that's escaping me right now, but we don't have that group mentality that's, that some cultures do have. We're more very, you know, very independent driven and self-focused. And, mm. and so we, we can create a lot of isolation in that. And I think that really is a big cultivator for some of these behaviors as well. Um, that can lead to addiction. But it's, you know, the big thing and what I work with a lot with the somatic experiencing work is this disconnection from our own bodies and from ourself where, oh, yes. you know, we, Tell we walk more around. about this somatic sure. experience. I'm very curious about it. Yeah, it's wonderful work. It's changed my life in so many ways. It's a, um, it's a modality that was developed by Dr. Peter Levine and he's got quite a few books, but Waking the Tiger is one of them that, where he really details and outlines the work and, you know, he's the creator of it. So by all means, I defer to him. Um, but I will do my best to give a brief overview of it is essentially somatic experiencing is a, a body-based therapy or a modality that works with healing trauma and healing chronic stress from a physiological perspective and from the mm -hmm. perspective of the autonomic nervous system. So we take out a lot of the the conscious brain's involvement around these things and really work with the body and the physiology. And um, in doing so, we can complete any sort of unfinished defensive responses that may have occurred at, in any sort of traumatic moments or moments of perceived trauma in our life where, um, you know, say you, you want to go into like a flight response or a fight response because mm -hmm. a dog is chasing you or a, maybe a loud dog is barking at you. And so, your body can hold on to that um, and it can actually become stored in the system. And so now maybe every time you see a dog, you react as if there's a threat, even if it's just your neighbor's little poodle, very sweet on a leash and there is no actual threat, but that could get stored in your body. And so now every time you see the dog, you're like, <gasps> like, you know, you, you kind of brace yourself or go back or your heart starts pounding or you, you need to, you know, cross the street or run away. Um, and so this work helps to, kind of go in and, um, and I have to say sort of rewire. I don't know if that is language Dr. Levine mm. would agree with, but it seems to be kind of what's happening um, to, so to go in. An example. So for example, um, let's, if you don't mind, of course, so that sure. I, you know, I can understand and the listeners can understand. Um, it, it's interesting you say about a dog because mm -hmm. I'm actually afraid of dogs. So, if I was going to come to you for a somatic experience therapy and I would be afraid and I'd say to you, look, Dr. Alice, I'm afraid of dogs. You know, I would actually cross the street if I see a dog. What's the, how do you begin the procedure of healing? Sure. So I'd like to... To, I would ask you what's happening in your body. Like when you think about a dog right now, what's happening now? Because we use what's happening in the physiology in the here and now to, hear, to heal the past. Because if we can be present with what is, so maybe let's say you, you know, you're telling me I saw this dog. I would ask you maybe like, can you describe, you know, an incident where you had to cross ask the street? Me, can we do a little practice? Yeah, let's um, try it. I okay, usually do it where it. I can see people because I like to see body language, but sure. <laughs> Do right, you if you don't mind, because I think it would be really helpful. No, let's and try it. I've never done this on a podcast. I like it. All right. Okay. So I'm here now and I am very scared of dogs. So, okay. What, so what happens like right now for you is you're telling me about you being scared of dogs. What are you noticing in your body? I'm twitching my feet because I want to run. Okay. And so are you able to just be present with that twitching in your feet for a moment? And just notice what happens when you bring your attention to it. Does the twitching want to speed up or does it want to slow down? It Maybe stops. It's, okay. So what's happening mm. in your foot in your foot now or in your feet now? It wants to twitch. It wants to go and run. Okay. So how, what happens if you just let it twitch? What are you noticing in the foot and then also in your leg? It's sort of like a vibrational feeling. Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Neutral. Okay. So, Steve, you can just hang out with it. 
if it's not too uncomfortable and you feel safe okay. and you feel okay, um, just see, just notice that vibration and that wanting to run. The funny thing is, as you're saying it, I know there's no dog, but I, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that the dog will bite my feet. I've always got this fear. Where do you notice the fear? How do you know that you've got f- fear around the dog wanting to bite your feet? What's happening in your body that sort of lets you know, like, oh, I'm afraid? Um, I think it's because the dog is so low down and it has re- the real ability to bite your foot. What would you want to do if there was an action or a movement that you could do to sort of get the dog away from you? Um, run. Okay. Can you imagine yourself running right now? Yeah. And, and notice what that's like really in your legs. Notice your feet pushing off the ground. Notice the contraction of your muscles. And it feels kind of, easier. Yeah. How do you know it feels easier? What's happening in your body that feels easier? My legs feel lighter. Okay. So just notice the lightness. It's kind of be curious about it. It feels much better. That's neat. How do you, how like how do you know it feels better? Just lighter, or are there any other? Um, yes, because you know how I felt, Doctor Alice. I felt that um, when we talk about the dog, my legs got heavier and my feet started twitching, mm-hmm. and I felt the dog was going to bite. There was no dog, but it's that memory of a dog, right? And I've never been bitten by a dog, but a dog has actually jumped into the car before an Alsatian, a German shepherd jumped into the car. And it gives me that feeling of being cornered. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if this is something that we were going to work with longer term, Mm. A, I would want to make sure I could see you because it's really interesting to just notice what people's bodies do automatically. Mm. And so it's, you know, as a practitioner, it's nice to have that screen to say like, oh, you know, did you notice that your foot just twitched or that you just turned to the right or that you, yes. yeah, that you held your hands up? And so these are some of these, um, like we call them active defensive responses, which essentially is like the fight or the flight or the freeze. Um, mm. But the body tells us so much. And so we have these kind of clues that we can look for. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we noticed this happened. So, you know, what's happening internally? And by, by being able to be, be present really with what is happening in the here and now, it helps us to like um, sort of find a crack in the window, so to speak, of some of this, some of these patterns that have gotten so looped into our physiology um, that aren't serving us. But if we can start to just touch in with like, oh, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm noticing. It sort of, it starts to open the door and let more light come in um, where we can unwind the pattern or we Mm. can finish the the loop, you know? So I would want to work with you on this sense of feeling like cornered or trapped. And there's, Mm. you know, there's a whole piece we could do around that and see what happens. And, um, and why were my feet twitching? Because you want to run. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. <laughs> like your body goodness. is, your nervous system is preparing you to run from a, a threat that's not even really there in the here and now, but in your body is very real. So it's not yeah. to say it's not real. It's real for you right now. You're, mm. You want to run. This is incredible. It's fascinating it? work. It, it, yes. it is. It must be fascinating. And do you think that is also the case, for example, when we are suffering, you know, some people that have gone through horrific things in life for themselves. And actually, although the event is no longer there and it's no longer happening, there are still responses that are occurring in the body as a result of that. A hundred percent. This work works with that a lot. Yeah. And so we can, what can happen is, mm. you know, if there is a major traumatic event, you know, with veterans, for example, or people that have seen, you know, victims of genocide mm-hmm. or war and, and even like, yes, that, and that's so horrible. And I, I don't say this next piece to undermine that at all, um, but also just to make the distinction, even if it's something as simple as we're a child and we get chased by a dog, both of those mm. things can get wired in as 
as a, a threat, you know, as something we need to escape from. Um, and it'll stay in there, you know, and then what happens is we start like closing ourselves off because we want to avoid any of these potential situations that might trigger a threat response that might trigger a survival response is what's happening. Like we want to stay alive. And so if anytime we see a dog, we were threatened, we're going to start maybe avoiding walking in the park or we're going to, and so we, it's like we close off our, our life force to try to keep ourselves safe you know, or keep ourselves protected. Mm -hmm. And I, I, mm -hmm. I think that's a huge issue that happens. And then we disconnect from ourselves because it's not safe to feel, or it's not okay to be in our bodies because of what happened in the past. Um, now, this is the point I want to ask you actually, mm -hmm. because I had several guests who have talked about this disassociation of the body. And it can be in a sense on a spiritual level where it's a positive thing where we reach this state of meditation and oneness but it can also on the other side of the coin be that you don't feel yourself anymore or who you are and what is that all about I want to ask you that because I had a lady who had been kidnapped Mm -hmm. And um, she was actually a friend of mine. She'd been kidnapped and her life was at risk. And to the point that she was fine after the event, it seemed. But literally three years later, she developed the anxiety that she didn't want to go out anymore and disassociated. Yet it was three years later. What is that? Sometimes, you know, of course, I don't know about her particular situation, mm. um, and that's terrible. And I would, I hope that she's found someone who can work with some of that trauma because uh, I think this she has because she good. had to. Yeah, yeah, good. And but sometimes, what can happen where there is that big lag is like we'll sort of be able to go along okay, and our system, you know, has this stress, uh, but we're able to, to manage it. And then it can be, it can even be like a small incident. Um, and I think this is important to say too with COVID because maybe we have some of this stored stuff, but we're sort of managing it. But then maybe there's, you know, even something as simple as like an argument or maybe a fender bender or, um, you know, a pandemic that happens. Mm -hmm. And and then our system, it's just like, it, it's like tips it over that next little bit, you know, and then it's like, oh, that's it. We can't, we can't manage it anymore. Um, I would guess something like that happened for her. I would guess there was some kind of small incident that was just like too much, put too much strain on her system. Yes. And so okay. she just, she mm. went into like a shutdown or um, mm. you know, however she presented. But I, I would guess, you know, for not really knowing the situation, that would be my hypothesis. And it, it interests me a lot because I think at that point, that's what I wanted to also ask you. Do you think it's at that point also a, a form of disassociation is when people start to do things that they usually wouldn't do, maybe reckless behavior or addictions or things like that, as in they don't have to be part of their body. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think it's just trying to get away from the pain, you know, and trying to get away from suffering that we feel inside. And if it's too painful to to even like be present. It's like, we're constantly looking for something outside of ourselves to feel better, you know, because the idea of actually going inward and feeling some of these things, you know, be they horrific or just a lot of stress, like I was under, it's, it's like, we have no idea of how to do it because we aren't taught, we aren't taught this kind of work or this, these techniques. Um, and so I think that we're looking for something outside of ourselves. Maybe we're just trying to numb because the idea or the, not even, is it's, not necessarily a cognitive thing, but kind of the thought of like going in and having to touch some of that pain, it's overwhelming for people. And so it's easier for a while, at least it's easier to have a drink or it's easier to, you know, have reckless behavior or it'd be an mm. adrenaline junkie or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is mm. for, for anybody. Um, it's a coping mechanism, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a coping mm. mechanism. Yeah. And it's a way to not feel, um, mm. Because I think we just, we need, globally, we need more education on how to feel. Yes, because a lot of people don't feel. I'm very much a person, I don't know about you, Dr. Alice, but I feel everything. And sometimes, yeah. you know, there's that old adage of, 
well, you know, it's both a blessing and a curse to feel everything. There's a saying so deeply. And I totally understand that. But when you feel everything, you have to find a way of, I suppose, you know, filtering it so that you don't become, you know, in the case, for example, of empaths who take everything on, but then can't filter that, you know, filter it out. What is the way, you know, with all this negativity that's going on at the moment, and yet it's a huge opportunity, I, I believe, for humanity to awaken. What is a way for people to cope? For me, what's really helpful, and, and mm. even speak to that point about the empaths, I'm quite empathetic as well. You know, I always have been. Um, and the more that I'm like present in my own body and the more that I have, you know, I'll use the term boundaries, even though I don't, that's not quite how I think of it, but it is. But me filling out in myself gives me better boundaries. And so I'm able to, I was just talking about this yesterday with my own practitioner with um, just some stuff with my family where I'm able to, I don't have to say like, this is my boundary, don't cross it. But because mm -hmm. I'm more me and I'm more like, in my body and I'm filled out more as myself. If I hope that makes sense. That's how I pictured in my own head. I, I literally f feel like I'm just filled out more in my own body. Um, that, that in itself creates more of, of a boundary or I don't, I don't take other people's stuff on just because I feel like, because I'm very clear and like, this is me, you know, this mm. is my body. I'm going through the world and, um, and I think there's, I think that is one of the best ways to start coping is to just start coming into ourselves a little bit better and to notice really, and this is how I like to start this work at all with anyone is to start noticing when you feel more like yourself, when do you have a pleasant experience of self and can you, t you know, spend a minute with that and notice what's happening in your body. And that starts opening the door to letting us begin to feel. An awareness of ourselves yeah an awareness it's called there's actually a term for it it's called interoception and oh, okay. uh, yeah and there's a pretty neat there's a couple of really neat studies on it one of the ones i like to mention is um so it affects the when we practice interoception which is this mm -hmm. idea of being aware of how we're feeling um and so it lights up this particular area in the brain called the right insular cortex or the right insula and they did this one study where they would have people in the MRI machine. And when people were simply feeling cold, the insula wouldn't light up. But when people were aware of feeling cold, it would light up, um, which is pretty neat, right? Because that's a, there's a distinction there of like, that's oh, that's amazing. I'm, yeah, it is. And they've actually, um, they've done, it is, it's so neat. They've done other studies where uh, like long-term meditators have a thicker insular cortex and like mm. some studies have proposed it's the seat of consciousness, but I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but it's neat to think about and it's, it's neat to know that it's not just our mind that creates like health or disease or whatever in our body. It's like being aware of what's happening in our body actually can change our mental state. That's and it's, huge. That's it's huge. huge. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's neat that that's showing up in the research. You know, I really, I'm an evidence-based practitioner. I, so I love when there's studies like this, it's so cool and so interesting and just gives yes, so much you know, va value and legs to this work of like, yes, you taking the time to start noticing what's happening in your body is of great value. I think that's actually quite miraculous. The it is. Art, the, you, you know, to be aware and when the awareness occurs, then everything changes, doesn't it? Did it change for you when we did that little practice with the dog? Just well, that? yes, yes, because I didn't realize, I, I, I knew it sounds crazy maybe, but, you know, there's no rationality in phobias. But um, with regards to, well, why would the dog want to bite my feet anyway? You know, um, but it's interesting because as soon as I felt running away, that that was my moment to go, um, everything felt lighter. Mm. So it was my awareness that managed to shift that feeling of fear and of being sort of oppressed and pushed in a corner. 
Yeah, it's it's wow. a lot can change just with being um, present. It's amazing. What a wonderful work it is that you do, Dr. Alice, really. I've just, yeah, I feel incredibly like blessed and grateful to have been exposed to it. You know, I, I mm. found a therapist who did this work. I knew nothing about it. I just was trying to find a therapist when I was first getting sober mm-hmm. and she happened to be a somatic experiencing practitioner. And, um, you know, I still, I, I work with her still. I saw, we did a zoom yesterday and I love it. I love like therapy day. I'm like, Oh, cause we're going to just practice SE and she's going to help me feel my body. And it's so <laughs> That's uh, I amazing. Love, that I is love really, it so much. Yeah. It's a blessing it to is. be able to find somebody like that. Now, Dr. Alice, tell us a little bit about your work, what you do and what you're offering to people out there. Because obviously, people that want to contact you um, need a little bit of information. What sort of things is it that you do? Because I know you told me you do courses as well, don't you? I do. I do. I just, we just started, um, I have a signature course called Sober and Calm that I actually first launched a few months ago when the pandemic was early on um, to work with women who are in various stages of wanting to explore life without alcohol or some of the women I work with have been sober for a while, but um, they are are dealing with trying to manage anxiety in a new way. And then I have some women where alcohol really isn't a problem, but they really want to work with their anxiety and they like my approach. So it's a this course in particular, it's a nice introduction because it lays a, a really good foundation for some mm-hmm. of this work and for being able to practice some of these tools of interoception and um, beginning to work with the nervous system and track the system a little bit. So it's like an introductory course. Uh, we do group coaching calls once a week. And it's just a nice way for people to begin coming into their bodies a little bit more in a safe container. We have group sessions. Um, it's really fun. Well, it sounds it's, wonderful, actually. It's, I like it. Yeah. It's so needed, isn't it now? It is, especially now. That's why I created it, because um, I do one-on-one work with people, but that's you know, a oh, bit more in-depth. That's what we, I wanted to ask you. What, what one-on-one work do you do? Um, so I've got a couple like systems set up where we'll either work together for eight weeks um, or we'll work together for 10 weeks or for three months. And then I do everything via Zoom, especially now. It's just too hard to try to do in person. And I work with people mm-hmm. all over the world, which is so neat. You know, I have a client in Australia right now. And, I, you know, it's, I just, I don't know. I love the accents. And just, it's so wonderful. Like we were saying in the onset of this podcast today, to be able to reach and to speak and to work with people all uh, over the yes. world. Yeah. So um, with the one-on-one work, we can just get deeper into some of the trauma history and really work with completing some of these active defensive responses that might be stuck in the system. And we just go deeper. You know, you can go deeper in an hour one-to-one with somebody over a period of a few months um, and really, you know, resolve some of these things that might be holding people back or keeping them stuck um, in various places in their lives around alcohol or, or work or fear, whatever it is. But it's, it's beautiful work. It is beautiful work and it's, is it satisfying for you? Oh, I love it so much. I'm so, it like brings me to tears, you know, when I think about oh. it, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful and it's so humbling to, you know, have someone trust me to work with them in that way and to just show up and be open with me because it's scary, you know, it certainly can it be. Is. Mm, it is very scary. And to be able, you know, to have the trust of that person, it's a huge honor, isn't it? It is. It means a lot to me. Yeah, mm. it really does. Mm. It must be a satisfying work. Now, Dr. Alice, tell, tell me, what inspires you or who inspires you in life? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm always like really inspired by, by nature. Um, we were just camping, my partner and I, last week up in Idlewild, which is this little mountain town. And, you know, just being in these tall pines and this forest and it being so quiet and no one's around. Um, that it just feels wonderful and it is inspiring and it's, it's refueling for me. Um, as far as like people, Mm -hmm. you know, Brene Brown is definitely a pretty inspiring woman. I've been reading more of her work lately and listening to some of her audio books. And I feel like she's just a treasure, you know, the work she's presenting and the fact that she's done the research and her ability to, to weave stories into it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going grateful. to have to look her, look her up more because so many people have told me about her now that um, I'm going to have to do sort of maybe a week of, you know, just listening to some of her stuff 
Is she really that good, Dr. Alice? She really is. And I, you know, I was, I just kind of found out about her maybe a year ago and I listened to Mm. some of her talks. And then recently I was in a bookstore. I had like an hour of free time between appointments one day when bookstores were open. I don't even think they are now, but, um, but I went in and I had found a couple of her books and I started reading it and I was like, oh, this is just great. And so I got the audio book and I listened to two of her audio books and yeah, it's so worth listening to. It really, it just, it's full of wonderful ways to start practicing like being courageous and being brave and showing up, you know, in ourselves. And she doesn't talk really about the the somatic piece, but in her own language, I think she brings mm-hmm. that in. So she's definitely, I think, inspiring. Her work is really inspiring. Um, it makes me want to go into more research like that. You know, maybe, I don't know. I have a lot to do already. But I'm I, like, no, I want, I want to do that and maybe get, to get another degree, but I probably not. But you know what's beautiful about that? It's that you still, you know, when you still have that fire and that's so important, isn't it? Because once we've lost the fire, we've lost everything. Just keep, and, it keeps you like excited about life, yes. you know. And I like yes. this feeling. I like being yeah. actively engaged in my life. And it doesn't mean I push all the time. I take lots mm. of rest, and I love acclimating to a slower pace of life. It works really well for me when I can do that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for my life and getting to do this work and reading stuff, you know, like that that is inspiring and uplifting. Um, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing what you've done and how far you've come. It's what, what an interesting journey, really. Uh, yeah. The fact that you've done so much and, you know, as with all of us, we all have our highs and our lows and our darknesses and our light. And the fact that you have chosen to focus on the light and are now helping other people really enlighten their life must be a huge, huge satisfaction for you. Yeah, it feels, I feel really blessed. I feel really grateful. Yeah, definitely it's satisfying work. Wonderful. Now, as we come to the end of the show today, and I'm so very grateful for you to come on, Dr. Alice, because I love the vibrancy and I love your energy of, in a way, it's childlike. Yeah. So much, I think this is what we should be more like, you know, find that sort of childlike state of wonder and amazement, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's something quite glorious. Now, in these times, as we said, it's not easy. What, I, you know, I always ask my guests this at the end, what advice would you give to the listeners, something that's worked for you in your life that can help to ease the strain and the stresses and really bring hope? Sure. Um, I really like the practice I was mentioning earlier of noticing when you feel good and I can give a little bit more um, of a uh, like a structure to that, Dr. Rick Hansen, who's got a wonderful podcast called Being Well, and he's a published researcher. He just put a book out called Neurodharma, but he takes this practice and has it in three steps. So I'll share those briefly here, which is to mm-hmm. to notice when you have a pleasant a pleasant feeling, when you feel like yourself, when you're enjoying a nice moment. It can be very simple. It can be you're in the, the shower. I use that one a lot with the warm water and maybe a window's open and there's a breeze. Just take a minute and notice like when you feel you know more like yourself. Or, or good. Um, and so notice that for two breath cycles. And then along with that, notice what's happening in your body. Notice the sensations. And then his thing is to also then ask yourself, like, why is this meaningful for me? Uh, but I think if we can start to slow down a little bit in those moments when we actually are experiencing pleasure or feeling good, that starts to open the door to, to teaching our bodies that we can have more of that we can build our capacity to actually feel good, that it doesn't always have to be this constriction. So really pay attention and notice, you know, when you start feeling, when you have these moments of, of feeling more like yourself or feeling delight or pleasure or, you know, maybe it's just taking a, a drink of a milkshake or anything like that. It can be really simple, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make and, and stay with that for a few breaths. And it's again that awareness, isn't it? It of- is feeling yourself in your body 
Yes. And it's, it's typically much easier to start feeling yourself when it's a pleasant feeling. I, I don't really begin this work with- Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. With telling people like when you're at the height of anxiety, notice what's happening in your body because it's too much. <laughs> I don't say when you feel good. That's a good point. That's a very good point because I think when you say you have to feel things, people are always scared because- they're scared to feel the bad. Right. But start with feeling the good and yes. the stuff that, that you yes. like, you know, mm. it's, and then it becomes fun and you're like, wow, I have the, that's what happened for me and really helped me in staying sober as I started building my capacity to feel good in my body. And I was like, this is amazing. I don't want to mess this up with booze. Like, yeah, you know, so that's a great way to start. And it's really helpful to do now when there is so much kind of scary and, I don't know, negative influence and political blah, blah, and we've got a virus. I mean, there's a lot going on right now, but we can all have those moments of delight and pleasure and simple things like that. It is. It's like, I'm going to remember you always now, Dr. Alice, because I'm going to always remember the chocolate milkshake and I'm going (laughs) to call it the chocolate milkshake moment, you know? Oh, I love that. You know, so... um, it's the chocolate milkshake moment. It's a moment for yourself, something mm-hmm. to enjoy, to give you the pleasure of feeling alive. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Amazing. Amazing work, I have to say. And um, tell us where can people get hold of you if they want to um, become, you know, a client, a patient or whatever, where's the best place to contact you? Sure. So um, you can reach me on my website. It's Kirby Method Consulting. And my last name is spelled with an E. So it's K-E-R-B-Y. And then I'm also, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I do a lot of live videos on Facebook talking about this kind of work. I have a few up on YouTube as well. And on Facebook, I'm Alice Kirby. Uh, YouTube, my channel is Dr. Alice Kirby. Um, and I'm on Instagram as, you know, DR is in Dr. Alice Kirby, but I'm most active social media on, on Facebook. That's where I do the bulk of my live videos. If you want a little bit more information or some techniques, I'm on there. I have a Facebook group called the self love project. Um, I do a weekly meditation and then my podcast, which I always forget to mention. So I'll throw that in there too. It's called beyond the pink cloud. And, uh, and I what's interview that about, yeah. So the pink cloud is kind of a recovery term where people will talk about when they first get sober or first get clean, you know, you you're sort of wearing rose colored glasses and everything feels amazing. Um, and so my, my podcast is kind of like, well, what happens after we've been, you know, in recovery for a while? Like how, how do we move forward and creating amazing lives? So I interview guests, you know, from sec, I'm talking to a sex expert tonight. So that'll be interesting, but any topic that really pertains to moving forward and being whole, I've had different doctors on uh, somatic experiencing practitioners talking more about this kind of work. Um, yeah, different therapists. And I, I try to bring in a scope of a wide range of professionals on various topics that would be of interest to, uh, to women just trying to yeah. move forward in their, in their lives. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to check it out and see um, all the different people that you have on there. So it's called what? Beyond the Pink Cloud? Beyond the Pink Cloud. Yes. Beyond the Pink Cloud. Okay. Something for listeners and myself to to check out. Thank you so much, Dr. Alice, for coming on. It's You're been welcome. a pleasure. You know, Thank you. Um, yeah. really, I've learned a lot, especially with the dog story, which I'll be thinking about now. And as I said, you'll always remain etched in my memory because of the milkshake moment, the chocolate <laughs> milkshake moment. <laughs> I like being remembered with chocolate milkshake. That sounds good. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having Wonderful. me. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Yes, and you too. And please stay in touch and come again. And yeah, tell likewise. us what you're doing. All right, then. Take care. You too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Alice Kirby. What an interesting lady, really, with so much advice and also a light of hope for everyone that has struggled with any kind of difficulty, whatever life throws at us, that really you can pick yourselves up and dust ourselves down and move on with life. Thank you for joining me today. 
Until the next episode, look after yourselves and lots of love. Take care. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk.